Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew LaPau. Let's start the show. McHugh joined me for an interview in my studio. She's a guitar player, songwriter, producer, and the host of WXNA's Songs on the Wire, which you can hear, which I tuned into on Saturday the other day. She plays very eclectic music on there, all quality music. Go check out her radio show that plays on WXNA in Nashville. Uh, And we talked, uh, we had about a 45-minute talk. We talked about her... Um, playing in a band, in a chart-topping band, Girl Monster, in Australia. Uh, That's how she got her start in the music business. And then she went on and got a record deal and came over to the United States, lived in Los Angeles. She currently lives in Nashville now. Uh, We talked about the creative process. Uh, We talked about Leonard Cohen. Um, She mentions the sexism that was uh, very rampant in the Australian music business in this interview. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really good tidbits of information about uh, being an artist and being an independent artist, songwriter, in this interview. So we'll get to it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Anne McHugh. Enjoy. Since you're gone, the 
love we made has come undone. The love we made has come undone. The love we made has come undone. working with Joe Leckis on some covers, songs. Yeah, we've got a little act called Radios in Motion, and we've released our first single, although we haven't released a press release about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're going to release another single, and we're writing a new song. We started, we recorded it last week. We have to finish the lyrics. Okay. Yeah. Is it an original song or yeah. a cover song? Oh, no. Cool. Um, we, wanted, we just started with the covers. We did two covers, um, a Billy Bragg song and a Matthew Sweet song, just to get going mm-hmm. and get our collaboration going. And um, we both love the 80s. So um, it's going to have an 80s sound to it. <laughs> Joe, every time I go over to his studio, he's always talking about what songs you, like the next song you guys are going to cover. And oh, yeah. Like, we've Check got out a few. this band. And I, you guys know so much more about 80s music than I do. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> it's an age thing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm getting into it because. Yeah, the 80s are rem- remarkable. I kind of shunned the 80s for a long time because of the, the sounds, mm-hmm. the, the gated snare and the right. digital reverb um, and the slap bass. <laughs> but once you get past all that, it's really like chamber music. And I, I agree with Joe, Joe. We're talking about Joseph Leckers from Palm Ghosts. Um, who, and he, I, he, we both have the same opinion that it's, it, it is very um, evolved musically. It's very complex. It's very... You know, you compare it, compare it to Bach or whatever, some of the arrangements and the instruments, XTC, and you listen to those arrangements, and it's pretty mind-blowing. Japan. Yeah. Kind of bands. And uh, Peter Gabriel and hearing his production style and songwriting style um, and Tears for Fears for me are, like, mm-hmm. the, the big ones. Kind of Peter Gabriel, Tears for Fears, um, and um, yeah. pretty much a lot of that kind of, like, more on the goth side, on the dark side of production, I really dig. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are what are your eighties influences? Um, well, I at the beginning I liked punk and new wave, and then I veered towards new wave, which is kind of like saying you're a mod in a way, as opposed to a rock. But I I love rock, you know, rock music. Um, you know, as I said, XTC are the I think they're the Beatles of the eighties. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and I, I loved The Police when they came out. I saw them play on their second album. I saw U2 on their third album. I saw Grace Jones um, all in the 80s. It was a really exciting time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Any, when you're a teenager, it's exciting. Yeah. Hopefully, music. And this is all growing up in Australia. Yeah, in Australia. So we had a lot more English bands than you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, when we say new wave, we think of English bands and um, even punk, you know, the Sex Pistols. But I think punk actually started more in America. Yeah. Well, if, if you discount the Yardbirds, which was kind of punkish sometimes. 
Um, but punk, I think the Sex Pistols were influenced by the Ramones. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's how they rock history kind of sees it yeah that's what they, mm-hmm. the new york scene and the new la york scene and, and um, pop and detroit and mm. and then it kind of went over to england they recreated it yeah um, and then america got influenced by that again kind of like mm. a same thing that happened with the british invasion exactly the blues mm-hmm. <laughs> i had a friend dusty from texas outside Houston and he thought the blues came from England that's ridiculous because he had never heard African Americans play the blues that's ridiculous you know and (laughs) so that shows you how much segregation yeah was happening at that time Mm -hmm. Um, so growing up in Australia what was what was on the radio what were you listening to just growing up other than you know maybe in did you get into it really young, uh, all this uh, new wave music that was coming over? No, because I'm a bit old for that. Um, <laughs> my, I've got seven older brothers and sisters, and so they were into the Beatles, Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, etc. And then in the 70s, we had cra- crazily good radio in Australia. We had not only FM would play everything from, you know... There was no genres then. It was just freeform radio. Uh-huh. And then we had Double J, which was this ABC station run by young pot smokers, I guess. And they would play incredible music. Um, it was like WXNA now mm-hmm. in Nashville, where you had so many different DJs just playing whatever they wanted. So I was lucky. I, I listened to everything. Plus, my parents' music, my dad was into jazz and um, all the American artists. African-American, we call it now. Um, and my mother was into musicals, so I got all those beautiful melodies, Rogers and Hammerstein and all that stuff, which I love a good melody, you know. And um, so I had a really broad um, musical education, informal education. <laughs> and, and your guitar playing is very jazz-influenced. Um, were you digging more of the classic jazz, like like Django, or and like Les Paul, or more of like the '60s West Montgomery Kenny Burrell guys, or or was it all in there? I love um, I loved Kenny Burrell. I used to when I was a kid, you know, thirteen. Turn on there was a station, a show called um, Music Till Midnight from ten till twelve at midnight that played just jazz, mm-hmm. and it was '50s, mostly '50s and mm-hmm. '60s jazz. Um, so I used to just get into that and do my homework. Obviously, I was up late. There were no, I had no curfews. And there was very little um, parental supervision of my teen years, unfortunately. And fortunately. <laughs> um, so I did get into some trouble, but um, but I loved schoolwork, so I was lucky I got through my school. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so did you want to just play jazz, or were you kind of like, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter? And I never wanted to be a singer. Um, <laughs> I only started singing because I started writing songs and I did want to be a jazz guitar player. Um, I definitely love the blue notes. One kind of music we didn't really have was country music growing up. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that in my, you know, what do you call it? Wheelhouse. Wheelhouse. Um, it's not a natural thing. I have had to play country and I like some of the old country, especially Hank Williams, that old. Yeah. That old stuff. I the love. good stuff. Yeah. Bill Monroe and all that. But um, I, I, 
I love the blue notes and that's what's always drawn me. That's why I love Kenny Burrell. Charlie Christian is my favourite mm. guitar player, yeah. along with Django Reinhardt. And then Jimi Hendrix and, yeah, I just love the blue notes. Yeah. I'm drawn to the blue notes. Drawn to the, and so is that what brought you over to America? No, um, I was trying to be a jazz guitarist and then... No, actually, first I was trying to be a novelist. And really? I, yeah, and I took a year and I wrote a lot of short stories and I kind of got cabin fever. I was only 21. And I saw an ad in the paper and it said, wanted wild women for a rock and roll band. And I was like, okay, I'm going to answer this ad. It seems like a joke, you know. And <laughs> So I joined that band and within um, three months of us recording our first single on a four-track cassette recorder, we were signed and touring, and and I've been a musician ever since. And that band was a Girl Monster? Girl Monster, yeah. So we were together five years, and we got to play with bands like the Ramones and the Divinals and Skid Row and I don't know, um, <laughs> all these bands. We had a really good run. So it was like, did you write the music for the band? I was. At the beginning, no, I was just the lead guitar player. And then she, Sherry Rich was running the band it was her band she asked me if I could sing backing and I said no I can't sing and then she said just try and so I did and she said I could sing so I started doing backing vocals and then I started bringing songs to the band because I was writing very experimental I was into Einstutz and Neubauten and Nick Cave um, the birthday party that kind of discordant music and so when I joined the band I had to start writing more and the Beatles-y straight ahead like right. structure diatonic yeah so I started writing songs and bringing them in and then I had to start singing them myself so that's how I started singing huh. <laughs> yeah I wasn't really I'm only now more comfortable with singing it's not something I chose I wasn't called to do it how did you embrace the rock and roll <laughs> lifestyle where it was the band like a a cliche rock band of you know just rock and roll and partying or a little was, bit yeah. yeah yeah it was I you know I made it my dad died when I was 21 and I made a vow that I would lead a very interesting life <laughs> and that was my main aim most of the time I didn't really know I would be still alive at this age you know I didn't really have a long-term plan yeah that's <laughs> and good, I was kind of influenced by Jim Morrison a lot I loved I still love Jim Morrison and um and so, yeah, I was probably the wildest one in the band. <laughs> um, we had a really fun time. It was good. And um, But when it finished, it was like a divorce. I was like, I didn't know what to do. And that's what I felt. I went back to my blues and jazz sort of stuff. And were you, before the band broke up, were you transitioning into more of a solo career kind of before or were you forced to do that? I was because forced. I I was terrified of playing solo and singing, being the lead person. It took me 10 years to get comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was really hard. I probably should have just found a singer to work with. It just never occurred to me. Um, mm. So how, how long was that? Were you touring with Girl Monster? Five years. Five years. And did you see the whole world with it? No, or? it was just Australia. Australia National tour. touring mm. in Australia, yeah. Um, so We should have left and gone to England, which is where all the other bands were going. Mm-hmm. And I think we may still be together. I don't know. We may have something big, bigger would have happened. Mm-hmm. Was it just big burnout? Well, 
The Australian music industry is very sexist. It, then it was ex- extremely sexist. We were the most popular band. We were number one on the charts and we couldn't get a record deal with a major label. All our male friends in their bands were getting signed mm-hmm. and we were... Then you were topping the charts. ...the most popular and they wouldn't sign us. That's terrible. Yeah, so there was that and... Um, yeah, just Sherry decided she didn't want to do it anymore, and that was it. Um, so you're done with Girl Monster, and you're working out some solo stuff. Yeah. And then you're thinking, I should move to America? No, I was, I was kind of making a, a living playing jazz standards and my own music. Singing jazz standards? Yeah. I had a gig... Two nights a week, four hours a night, playing jazz standards solo. <laughs> so that was a lot of music. That's awesome. I know. And I was living off that. Yeah. Um, and then I was doing my own music um, around town and had a band uh, for a while and all that stuff. And um, I was walking down the street one day and ran into a friend and he said there was a band looking for a female guitar player who could sing harmonies. So I went and auditioned and I got that and we got signed to Columbia Records and were brought over to America. That's how I got to America. Uh, what band was that? It was called Eden, a.k.a. and um, they actually never released the album. Oh, so yeah. it was one of those record deals. Yeah. We um, we toured on Lilith Fair and we had a good run as far as that, but we didn't know you could just put something out yourself and keep start touring on your own. So we waited two years for the album and then I quit the band. Mm. Yeah, we were in LA though, and it sort of was great. It got me out of Australia and into America. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of LA? I loved it. Well, actually, first I didn't like it. Um, it took about six months, and then I loved it. Mm-hmm. I was there for eight years, and I I love LA. Yeah. Were you? Did you uh, live kind of all over? Or did you just? Yeah, kind of... I started in Toluca Lake, went to West Hollywood, went to North Hollywood, went to Echo Park, Seal Lake, and ended up in Hollywood. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I love all the neighbor- different neighborhoods in L.A. I try to get out there it's once or twice a year. Places. Yeah. Laurel Canyon and all that. But I was, it was a great Americana scene back. This is the early zeros. I, when I was in the band, I started going to open mics by myself because we didn't really like each other that much, the people <laughs> in the band. We were thrown together. That's and okay. sitting around doing nothing and what can cause trouble. Um, so I would just go off by myself to the open mics and I met all these really lovely people. And they were very enthusiastic about my music, you know, which I hadn't really found that much <laughs> over the years. Um, so I just felt really welcome in LA. And then once my album came out, I met Lucinda Williams. I actually met, she came and saw me play at the basement in Nashville when I was here. So you were just touring in Nashville? At that yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I met her and then I became part of the whole Americana scene, which was thriving in LA then. Sin City Mm -hmm. All-Stars. It was a jam. Every Wednesday night there was a jam and everyone would come. And so I got to play with guitar with Lucinda and Uh, Michelle Shocked. And everyone would just get up and play with with each other. And it was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to go see her at Ascend uh, in August. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, So... That would you consider that was like a real break for you, just yeah. meeting Lucinda and her being yeah. a fan for, of yours? Yeah. Um, did that lead to a, another record deal? A little record deal. I, um, she kind of plucked me out of the gutter. I always say and put me on the sidewalk, <laughs> which I'm struggling to maintain my 
position on at the moment um, <laughs> because I'm not doing anything. I haven't put any music <laughs> out for three years. Um, you can't, it's really hard to keep momentum going. Um, but, but you're putting out with Joe, so like... Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, we, haven't, we haven't released it properly yet. That's the thing. But once I start releasing stuff again, it'll be fine. But you go through these lulls. And oh. Um, I don't want to make myself write stuff so I can put a record out. I want to write something that comes from my soul. That's meaningful, yeah. Yeah. So I have to wait, and I've been waiting for years. Um, not that I haven't written stuff, but I haven't finished stuff. But also, <laughs> you're you're kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You have mm. your... You can perform as a side person yeah and you can produce and yeah. you also do film yeah right? and yeah. you're a dj yeah yeah so it's not like your your creativity is being stifled no. it's just the output of your original songs that is somehow subconsciously baking in the back that's how exactly. i would exactly yeah. yeah absolutely um i know like you know we live in Nashville, so it's it's a songwriting capital here. Mm. Um, people that force themselves to write every day, mm. and that's just a way that some people do it. But yeah. you know, it's almost kind of like forcing yourself to bake a cake every day. Like, how is yeah. that going to be? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's one way or the other in a way because, like, they're I guess they're betting on being pro. What's that word? Um, when you do a lot of stuff, um, you know. Um, when you're. Um... Oh, God. Um, anyway, they're they're writing a ton of songs, whereas I'm trying to write one great song a okay. month, and they're writing every day, and maybe one of them's going to be a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And it works because it worked for like George George Bernard Shaw and Woody Allen, people like that who make do a lot of stuff. You're gonna end up somewhere, hopefully, with a masterpiece in there. Yeah. Well, you're just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, mm. and well, that makes me think of um, that that story of the uh, art teacher in I think it's in New Mexico. So it's a true story. He had um, it was a ceramics class that he taught, and he had he split the the class in two. And one of them, one half of the class had to make one piece for the final project. Mm-hmm. And they would be graded on this one ceramic. Mm. And the other half of the class had to make uh, a new piece every week mm. for the class. Yeah. And the ones, and at the end of the class, the ones who constantly created new pieces were the ones that had like the, the better yeah. evaluation. Right. Um, there's that way of looking at things. But there's also kind of like, if you think of the way Leonard Cohen talks about songwriting, he has to wait for the song to come. And yeah. so he was a very slow songwriter. And uh, He's my favorite songwriter, so. Oh, yeah? There you go. Of all time? Yeah. <laughs> Just, he's my favorite singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. you know, because. Um, Have you gotten to the, into the record 10 New Songs? Yeah. By him? Yeah. yeah. I've re- rediscovered that one recently. Mm. I love that, that record. I like the early ones because the production's a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that new is like really kind of like, you know, really electronic. Nasty. nasty. <laughs> the last album sounds good. Um, um, I, I like the kind of like kind of cheesiness of the production on those records. Yeah. They, they sound like, uh, like Sade records or something. Except uh, not as good. 
<laughs> but like new skin for old ceremonies that's one of my favorites right. um, that's like just rock band yeah um i don't know why you went that casio keyboard way it's yeah it's like casio casio everything what do you think the, his best is well the first three or four albums yes yeah. i love because they songs it's from just, a room yeah i love songs from a room and uh, songs of Leonard Cohen, I think it's called. Yeah, the that's the first one. one. Yeah. And then Songs of Love and Hate. And 10 New Songs. When did that one come in? 10 New Songs is, I think, in the 2000s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's so what kind of like Hollywood. It's like a real type of Hollywood production for the time. Like, oh, okay. Backup singers and harmony and um, electronic drums mm. and like really reverby guitars. Yeah. A lot of the albums were like that, I guess. But um, the songs are always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Despite it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then after doing the Americana um, scene in, in L.A., did you, you re- would you say you released your, most of your records from there? Yeah, I released one, my first album in 2001. And then I released 2004, Roll, 2006, Koala Motel, 2008. I recorded my, I was, I didn't have a label then, so I recorded in my house in Nashville an album called East of Electric. Then 2011, I recorded in Nashville, Broken Promised Land. Then 2015, so that was four years, (laughs) (laughs) I recorded my last album, Blue Sky Thinking. (laughs) But that's been I slowed down a bit. Well received, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I think, you know, I I don't want to make an album every year that's sort of the same as last year's album mm-hmm. with different titles. I'm just not interested in it. Yeah, and even the the way it seems things are moving is away from albums, more towards EPs and and even just singles now. Yeah. Um, I think wanting to make an album and not having money put behind it or, or knowing that it's gonna be put out or, or, or promoted is really daunting and yeah. so like when I made my first record and it's pretty much my only full-length record yeah. I, I had to teach myself Pro Tools in order to make it yeah I had to schedule all the musicians and I had to you know rent out the studio and all that stuff so it took the better part of a year to make and I was mm-hmm. just so burnt out by the time it was yeah. mixed and mastered and uh-huh. money spent and CD duplication yeah. I was like you know what I don't ever have to I told myself you don't have to ever have to do this again like no. you did it yeah <laughs> um, but what I love from doing that is all that experience and, and knowledge that I've gained from it and how uh, kind of dumb I was to think that I would just make a record and people would hear it yeah, that's um, the hard part. Yeah, I guess I was 24 when that happened. Um, but when you move to Nashville or you move to anywhere where there's a, a thriving music scene, then you could, it's, it almost, it reignites that inspiration because you can collaborate with so many talented people here. Yeah, um, that's why, and, you know, people are not going to like me saying this, Spotify is actually good for that because you don't have to make an album. Um, you can release a single and people will hear it Mm -hmm. it's easy for people to hear it it's easier for people to hear it Um, you know we should get paid a lot more money from Spotify but 
I have discovered so much great music on Spotify mm-hmm. and that I would never have heard if it was still the only the major label system. Yeah. And relying on your local radio station. Now, before WXNA, none of the, hardly any of these local artists here were getting any airplay, let alone in- interesting music. Unfortunately, Lightning 100 wasn't playing hardly any local musicians when I moved here and it was the same they had a very small playlist mm-hmm. I was so disappointed I thought it was going to be great but um so WXNA you know has really helped I think play a lot more local bands and a lot more interesting music that you didn't hear on radio before and then Spotify you can if you like one artist say if I like um for instance there's a band called Cigarettes After Sex mm-hmm. right now, they, I'm pretty sure they never would have got a major label, never would have got played on the radio. But because of Spotify and YouTube, mm-hmm. they have sold millions of, you know, songs. Mm-hmm. And they can tour internationally now. Are they independent or they got... They're independent. A, oh, that's great. There's some guy that was working in a cinema in New York. For five, he made the album five years before. And he's working in this cinema... And art cinema and then made a video finally made a video for one of the songs and it just word of mouth and took off and it's like I would never have heard him if not for Spotify yeah and then you you play them and it says related artists and you're probably gonna find one out of five you know in that selection you'll find maybe one song that you like and that's mm-hmm. like it's a new way to find new music for me I get really obsessed with one artist and then I just go on to Spotify and I download their whole catalog, mm-hmm. like Leonard Cohen or something, and then I'll just go, okay, save, 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 save. And then yeah. when I have a really long road trip, I'll try to chronologically go through the artist's catalog. Yeah. Um, and then if I really like it, I buy the record. That's, yeah. That's, like, I buy the vinyl. Oh, that's exactly, so that's yeah. That's how the, it, I think that's the new model is like you stream and then you buy the vinyl. So I do wonder yeah. about ever making CDs again or, or until CD players come back. That's what know? I do too, yeah. Yeah. Because the vinyl, because when I was um, a teenager and going into record stores, I wasn't buying vinyl, but you'd buy CDs. Yeah. And the way I would, I think a lot of the time discover music is you just browse the CD section and you look at it. CD cover that <laughs> looks interesting, yeah. And then you, you know, you put the bar, you scan the barcode, and then you hear the first song for like mm. a minute. And you're like, yeah. okay, I'll buy that CD. And that's really yeah. how I pretty much discovered music, or my friends telling me that they like a, a band, and so I'll just go sample him by giving twelve dollars to the store and just seeing if I like it. So I have a bunch of CDs of bands that I didn't really like, you know, but I bought it yeah. just because I wanted to check it out. Okay. Yeah. But now with Spotify, you do that ten, you know, ten bucks a month, and you can have yeah. the whole history of recorded music, ninety nine percent of it. Mm. And it, so then it comes back to albums again because there aren't that many great albums, and I have been burnt a lot by buying an album because I liked a song, and then there's not any other good songs on it. So you, if you are going to make an album, you should still make try to make a masterpiece yeah whatever that means in your genre or whatever but every song should be good yeah you should be proud of your yeah, work yeah not just throw this together and mm-hmm. and not just like i'm gonna write a song like towns van zandt it's like why <laughs> i know okay you love towns van zandt there's a lot of that going on it's like I love Towns Van Zandt, so I'm going to write a song like Towns. Like, why are you right? Okay, you love him, but why write like, you know? 
I don't think you can recreate Towns Van Zandt. No. I think he's one of he's one of the more elusive ones. You can. There's definitely a lot of artists in Nashville that you can tell are really into into him for what they do. Um, Even like a band like the Handsome Family, you can tell they're like really big Towns heads. Or Steve Earle, you know, like. and there's like a new wave of that, but those early Towns records are just so. Those are like perfect records too. Yeah. Um, At my window, that yeah. album. Yeah. Um, and um, what is it? High, low, and in between. Right. Um, are you a big Towns? Well, fan? I. I tend if everyone's talking about someone, I don't. I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> so. If everyone is talking about Towns Van Zandt or Graham Parsons, the last thing I'm going to listen to is Towns Van Zandt and Graham Parsons. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to sound like everyone else. And I've always tried not to. My whole thing is trying, well, in any way now, I don't want to sound like everyone else who wants to sound like Towns Van Zandt. It's interesting because they, <laughs> they call it like a renaissance or something, like yeah. a folk renaissance. Um, mm. But those, but that it goes in cycles it's yeah you know even bob dylan was a was in the greenwich village scene that was a folk revival yeah you know? yeah it was everyone being influenced by woody guthrie and yeah um and brownie mcgee and all those those early folk singers mm-hmm. um so yeah that just seems to happen all the time in a in a songwriting community you look to what was really good and really revered and then you try to recreate yeah. it but it's almost kind of pointless to do that um unless you it's, have a real original spin on it yeah i think it's more pointless if everyone's doing it like if you're the only one who's doing it and you're creating something new out of it but if everyone's on the same thing it's like ugh, i just get it's like, i don't want to hear the same thing from everyone um <laughs> uh sturgill simpson has a line uh, one of his in his first record where he's like I'm tired of people trying to take what's mine I'm tired of people playing dress up and trying to sing old country songs yeah kind of like you know making fun of the scene over here of people wearing you know yeah wearing boots and hats and uh, yeah because that well that was going on when I was in LA and I'm surprised people are still doing it because <laughs> then it was it then it was a uh reaction against what had gone in the 90s it, mm-hmm. it was a renaissance right but now it's just a kind of a drag well now it's just <laughs> yeah it's just like um, you're trying to get into a commercial or something or yeah. be cast in uh, it's like hollywood casting almost yeah um that is i mean that that's kind of a depressing thing to talk about is is that um the commercial side of things of style it's almost as if the look yeah. comes first and yeah. then um, I mean, this, I've been in auditions in Nashville for big artists, artists in between, and it's so much about what's your style like. You gonna, you know, what's your look like? And yeah. um, uh, when Andrew Sovine, the guitar player for Ashley McBride, was in here, he was talking about when he got this major label sideman gig, and he had to really figure out what his look was gonna be. They told him, and he's like, and he was like, should I buy a chain wallet? You know, and that's like that is not important. What are you doing it for? If it's, yeah, um, that's a big thing now, though. It's it's a very shallow time, very shallow vibration. 
going on when you see Kim Kardashian in the White House you know something's wrong because she represents the most shallow part of humanity to me and so does he mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying his name um, and then this Kenya, Kenya West um, those three like they're probably and I have this new saying the most shallow being rises to the top and that's what it's all about now in music and it used to be they used to say the cream rises to the top I don't believe that anymore well, maybe it's not. The shallow, the shallowest people rise to the top. Not all of them, but yeah. For the, the she is the most famous person on the planet for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do anything. It's all about how she looks. To me, that's like that's sad. Yeah, and that's you know? been a, it's been a trend for a long yeah. time. Um, my sister texted me that she was on a plane, and she said the girl sitting next to her on the plane was watching the Kardashians on her iPad mm-hmm. and also scrolling through their Instagrams at the same time on her phone. That's, why are they why are they interested in these people? I don't understand. <laughs> That's why I'm, you know, yeah. out there in the outskirts. I don't I don't understand. But if if you keep if you um if you watch like daytime television or anything, all the ads are just for celebrity beauty products yeah. and um, yeah, we, you're right. We do. I, it's something that I try to really, I guess, maybe shelter myself from or just kind of laugh at when I see it. And I, yeah. I got to just focus on like yeah. this and doing what I love and, and learning about music and, and production and, mm-hmm. and collaboration, co- collaborating with, with creative people. But yeah, you know, you're still surrounded, you know, whatever bubble you put yourself in, you're mm-hmm. still surrounded by the general, um, you can't get away from it unless you went off the grid, which is one of my big dreams: is to go off the grid and you know, have solar energy and no internet. <laughs> that you know, that's 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 kind of like a common theme that gets brought up on all, uh, when people oh, come in here. Everybody yeah. talks about wanting to just pack up and go, yeah. and just you know, rough it. I would love it because it, Facebook and all that. Um, I try and stay off it as much as I can, but it's a business, you know. It's how we conduct our independent music business now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just makes you feel like a loser. You just feel feel like a loser every. You can you can feel like a loser every day if you buy into any of it. And, and what's sad is that you know ch- children don't don't know what it's like not to have social media now. Yeah. And it's you know it's the likes and the the reactions and mm. the comments are all. I guess what's known as social currency, mm. as if like if someone has a hundred likes on a post of them just eating a taco, yeah. and then someone actually like wins a science award and they get two likes or something, it's that person who spent all their time, you know, learning something and and, ex- yeah. and excelling at something. Still, that it's not they're not praised on social media as much as someone mm. who just is like a good-looking person eating a taco. Yeah, and, you know? exactly. Um, I know. It's like when you put a song up and you may get 2,000 people, but then you see like this one that's got 2 billion hits and it's a guy falling off a motorbike or something. <laughs> and it's like, what is the meaning of existence? <laughs> Did you see the um, Mr. Rogers documentary? Not yet. Is it still on? It's still on. Okay. Yeah. I really want to see it. Yeah. It's, it's really, I think it's also very important in this 
day and age to people someone who's got some... see him in his element and and what that show was all about because yeah. we all watched like if you grew up in america you watched that when you were really young like when yeah. your parents propped you in front of the tv and put on pbs and mr rogers yeah. um yeah it's a great documentary um and you will cry yeah i cried <laughs> in the trailer <laughs> yeah. i saw that trailer i like... cry easily <laughs> that's okay I didn't even get to see the show when I was young, but I, I just he came across such a beautiful person in the trailer. I was and like, he was an incredible musician. Really? He does all the piano playing for his television show. Really? And it's all really jazz, classic jazz style yeah. um, piano playing. Yeah, so definitely uh, like a remarkable human being. Yeah. Um, so your show on WXNA, how long have you had songs... Songs on the Ooh, water. Um, it could be a year and a half or something like that. Okay. Crazy. How's that going? Good. Yeah. I love doing it. It's fun. And um, it's a volunteer station, so I don't feel compelled to play music I don't want to play. And it's all about playing what you really want to play. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like I just get throughout the week, I collect a lot of songs that I like. And then when I get there, I freeform with the songs and go, well, what's going to feel good after this mm-hmm. song? And the best thing about it for me personally is that it's I, it's given me the chance to listen to other people's music and not be focused on my own music and my own career all, all the time, mm-hmm. which can be a really a drag when you're an independent musician. It's, yeah. it's, it's a 24-7 job. It never stops. You never get a vacation or have a day off. Or, mm-hmm. You know. never stop worrying about it. Yeah, so this is like me. I'm not. I can't play my own music. Not that I would want to, but you can't mention your own. You can't talk about yourself at all, which okay. we have to do all the time when we're in a right, right. me, me, me. And um, so you know, and I can play any style of music I like. And then I get to interview really interesting people. Like that last week, I interviewed Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds, the original drummer. Yeah, and um, all sorts of people. I've had. I've had come in and interview, and it's yeah, it's great. I love WXNA. I think it's a fantastic radio station. Do you ever make it back to Australia? Yeah, I'm going in October. Mm-hmm. I haven't been for a few years. But, uh, Do you, are you going to play out there? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to play, uh, so I've got to get something released before then. Um, where are you playing? <laughs> um, at the moment, just Sydney, Melbourne, and Byron Bay. Cool. And maybe Brisbane. Um, but I'm going to go, before that, I'm going into the center where Ayers Rock, or Uluru is the actual real name, into the desert and make a, a trip. I've never really been right into the center of Australia. Mm-hmm. And go to Kubapiti where they do the uh, opal mining and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, is there anything uh, that you wanted to talk about? Um... Um, 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 I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. Well, can you tell uh, listeners uh, where they can find your music? Yeah. Um, if you go to annemccue.com, A-N-N-E-M-C-C-U-E.com, and you can look up Anne McHugh on iTunes and CD Baby and Amazon. And I've produced a couple of artists, um, Ellen Starsky. Her album is out right now, getting really good reviews, so... It's called The Days When Peonies Prayed for the Ants. 
It's quite a title. Yeah. And Scott Miller, um, Ladies Auxiliary, that's out now too. I produce that one too. Awesome. So, yeah. Right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> I want to thank Anne McHugh again for coming on the podcast. It was great having you. Um, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, if any listeners out there are wondering where they can hear Anne's music, she's on Spotify. She's got a website, com. Go check it out. Follow her on Spotify and uh, keep in touch. If you think anybody would like to hear this episode, please tell a friend, tell a family member, leave a review on the iTunes store, write me an email review if you'd like, andrew at andrewlepow.com. That helps me know what's working on this podcast. And thanks to everybody who's uh, stayed with this podcast. This is uh, We're getting up there with the numbers and the episodes. So thanks again. If you're curious about what music I play at the beginning of every show, that's all original music all over the map. So stay in touch and keep in touch. And I'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.